The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. Great to have everybody along with us. We've got a really great discussion ahead of us tonight. Returning guest Nathaniel Gillis will be with us. He's got a new book coming out that we're going to talk about. When he was on last, which was in July of this year, we talked about a book he had already published called A Moment Called Man. He's a demonologist. His next book is a little more ominous titled. It's called The Skin That Crawls. We're going to talk about demonology. We're going to talk about his book, and we're going to talk about his experiences on tonight's show. It's going to be a good one, I promise. Uh, Nathaniel is a great guy. Uh, We had a great conversation last time he was on, and this one will not disappoint uh, either. So we're looking forward to it. A um, couple things I want to go over before we get to that part of the program, though. Uh, first of all, I had some people asking me what was that website that I mentioned last night, the one about taking the Miology health assessment. Let me just be clear about a couple things. One is it's not really a health assessment. What it does is it, it takes a look at your lifestyle through about 20 questions or so and your goals. And then it recommends uh, what may be um, vitamin supplements that you may or maybe you should be taking. I, you know, completely up to you whether you uh, believe what it comes out with or not. But I found it very helpful. And the website is very simple to find. It's myhealthrocks, R-O-C-K-S, myhealthrocksnow.com. And when you visit it, you will uh, scroll down just a little bit and you'll click on, there's a thing about meology, M-E-ology, meology. And uh, you click on it, and it goes through a series of questions, and it um, it helps you determine what things may be lacking in your diet. It's kind of kind of helpful. So again, myhealthrocksnow.com is the website. Check that out. Also, um, I did want to mention that we had a guest on a few weeks ago, uh, Jude Sutherland Kessler, and if you remember, uh, Jude had has recently published a book uh, that is the fourth volume in a series of books about John Lennon and the Beatles. And we had a fantastic discussion about the Beatles. Obviously, she's very passionate about the Beatles, as am I. So it was a tremendous amount of fun for me personally. And uh, I just want to mention that Jude actually sent me, and we we often get uh, books about the paranormal topics here for people that want to uh, come on the program and talk about them. And obviously, it's it's important that that happens because it gives me an opportunity to read through them. So I know what we're going to talk about. Uh, when it comes to the Beatles, we don't always get Beatles books sent to us, but Jude sent this book to me. Um, first of all, this this is a this is not a book. This is a tome, and it's the fourth of what I think she said was going to be nine total books in the series about John Lennon and the Beatles. This thing, I'm I'm very excited to read it. I'm I'm disappointed that uh, I don't have one through three. I'm going to have to get those. Um, but this is um, I don't know if you can see. I'm trying to hold it up for the camera here. This is just packed full of uh, of detail. And I'm really, I mean, there's conversations in here. I'm really excited about this. And she wrote a really nice note in the cover here. Um, it says, to JV on John's 80th birthday. Now, remember, uh, John Lennon would have turned 80 years old on October 9th. To JV on John's 80th birthday, thank you for keeping the boys in the spotlight. May they and you shine on Jude. So thank you very much for this. And again, if you're... Interested in the Beatles, I highly recommend you check out Jude Sutherland Kessler's work. You can find it essentially anywhere. If you go to the uh, to our Amazon link page, you'll find it there. It's amazon.com slash shop slash JVJ Taps. 
we put all of our um, all the links um, to our guests' work on there. When when we can find it on Amazon, we put it right there, so it's very easy to find. And our guest tonight, uh, his book, A Moment Called Man, is linked there as well. Another thing I want to mention, and I am going to say this, and this is a bit of a political statement, but uh, I'm just going to say it because I think it's that important. Um, I, I'm, I'm just going to highly recommend that everybody go to the New York Post's website and subscribe to the New York Post for at least a year to thank them for keeping free speech and freedom of the press alive. It doesn't seem to exist in too many places. It does at the New York Post, and I think they should be thanked and rewarded for that because it's becoming a rarity. Uh, So again, newyorkpost.com, I recommend you subscribe to them for a year. I don't care if you even look at the paper. That's not really what's important. Sending them a message is... Okay, so our guest tonight, Nathaniel Gillis, is a returning guest. We're going to uh, get him on the line, and we're going to begin this discussion. We'll be talking about his new book, which is called The Skin That Crawls, and we'll be talking about his work as a demonologist and a uh, a demonology researcher. That's our program tonight for you on Beyond Reality. Thanks for being here, everybody. Really looking forward to this conversation with returning guest Nathaniel Gillis. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply particularly honored tonight to have Nathaniel Gillis back with us. Nathaniel is a religious demonologist. He's also an author. He lived in a haunted house as a child, and then he spent 20 years researching exactly what it was that he encountered from those experiences. He's the founder of Preternatural Epiphenomenal Philosophy. He's also sought to redefine the nature of haunting phenomena, ghosts, and high strangeness. He's often quoted for his concept of the demonic, saying, the reason they are playing by different rules is because they're playing a different game. Nathan, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's so great to have you with us again. Man, it's my pleasure. You're, you're one of my favorite hosts ever, and I'm just humbled to be back on again. Well, I have to, I have to say this. Um, I was uh, you know, mentioning the fact that we'd be talking again tonight during the course of the last couple of weeks uh, during the mm-hmm. program, and um, I am humbled that you chose this program and our discussion to talk about the uh, publishing of your new book, uh, you said some very, very complimentary things uh, in our discussions, you know, between uh, the emails we sent uh, to one another. And I thank you for all of that. That means a lot to me. And it also, I think, is a testament to the audience uh, that tunes into the program every night. So thank you for that. Yeah, not a problem. There is an absolute purity about you that I treasure. In this field, for all of those who are listening, I realize that when you tune in to uh, this show, when you listen to people like me who hop on it, you guys don't understand uh, the magnitude of this man's gift. He has stayed pure in his unction. He's pure in his research. And uh, it's, it's one thing to become famous. It's one thing to become famous, especially in this field. And, and most people who have podcasts as successful as his, uh, they do fall into a category where it's just whatever matters, right? Whatever gets likes. And uh, I'm, I'm just thankful to be on a show uh, with someone who hasn't compromised. 
And I just wanted to tell all the viewers that because um, that's one of the things that I really love about the show. Okay, so the emails are going to start coming in saying, how much did you pay Nathaniel to say oh, those Lord, things? Lord. I'm just kidding. It was $20. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Come on. <laughs> you know, so, so tell us about the new book. Last time you were on, we talked about A Moment Called Man. You've got a new book that you were working on at the time, which is now about about to be published, or has it just been published? Uh, it's going to be I'm, – I'm actually going to put it up for – pre-order this weekend. I want, to, I want to give it a little bit of time because I have some more um, just research to do. But yeah, it's, it's uh, The Skin That Crawls, and I'm going to hopefully um, add and contribute to my field. At, tell me about the title because it's a little more, I'm not saying more, more ominous, but it's, 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 uh, the, the title almost makes my skin crawl a little bit. Tell me about the title. Well, the title is emblematic of demonic possession. And so I think that it's, it really reveals to us, and, and that's my intention, it reveals to us uh, the amount of time that these entities that possess people have taken in order to accomplish what they're accomplishing in the 21st century. And so in this book, I go from the, the book of Genesis chapter 6, I go from uh, my very first chapter, <laughs> I, I, I actually talk about a sarcophagus, the University of Chicago, unearthed. And I talk about how, where, where possession as a phenomenon originated. And I absolutely, absolutely bury the concept that what we're dealing with in possession cases are fallen angels. And I look forward to it. I cannot wait. Because I promise when people get a hold of this literature, they're going to realize that we have been hoodwinked. And so the book is called The Skin That Crawls because these entities are present in the 21st century. They look exactly like us. And so that's why I named it The Skin That Crawls. <laughs> we have, um, I'm, I'm going to play a, a, a YouTube trailer that you have uh, on, oh, on YouTube channel for the book. <laughs> no, I think it's important, but there's a quote in there that I was going to save until I played that uh, trailer uh, to talk mm -hmm. about it. But I think based on what you just said, it's kind of an important quote to introduce yeah. right now. And the quote is, possession uh, um, was always, um, I'm trying to read my own writing here, because it's um, the tool by, uh, was, I'm sorry, possession was always the byproduct of emptying one's self. Yes, sir. Tell me about that quote, because that has a lot of depth to it. Yes, sir. Well, according to the data sample, uh, a possession was always the byproduct of what's called self-abandonment. These entities will look with they'll look within us, and they're looking for any kind of void in us. And so, it's not just um, a physical access point because they, they've also used those as well in, in terms of an incubus. But they look for the emptinesses within us. Anything that we have not yet self-realized, anything, especially any kind of trauma that has been um, just abandoned, any kind of abuse that we've not yet healed over, uh, they use those uh, parts of us as access points. And, and so one of my goals in my research is to close up those wounds because they have been manipulating our insecurities. They have been using our emptinesses as voids and actually wounds. 
And, and therefore, I, I think it's high time uh, that the discipline of demonology understands these entities, what they're doing, and why it is that we matter to them. And uh, we are access points, and, and all of those emptinesses within us are just the same. I happened to uh, come across a television program earlier tonight, which I thought was very, very appropriate given the conversation you and I were to have. Um, It was one of the paranormal reality shows. I won't say which one. Uh, They were in the middle of investigating a quote-unquote haunting, and they had the homeowners uh, involved in this particular investigation. And during the haunting, or during the investigation, one of the homeowners, the the woman of the couple, um, started to uh, talk about experiencing um, tremendous uh, pain. She couldn't breathe. Her hand was somewhat locked up, and she collapsed on the couch. And immediately a priest jumped on her, and I don't mean that literally, um, and started to perform an exorcism. Yes. Is this what pop culture has done to our view of what this is all about? Yes, it's disgusting. And I am I can't I don't even know if I can use the word peed off. Can I say that? I sure, know. you can say that. I'm pissed off. I'm angry. I'm angry because I have a quote in my last book, and the quote is that you will never know how hungry a person is until you see what they're willing to settle for. And we have settled for that manifestation, that version of demonology. But that also tells us how hungry we are for more understanding. Does that make sense? When you give someone food and they're starving, they'll take anything. Yeah. It's terrifying. These entities, and I, you know, these entities have followed us biologically for millennia. They are so far ahead, at least of my my literature in terms of what I'm reading. We, my field is so far behind them. I mean, my God, when we go into biblical antiquity, we're dealing with theologians, demonologists, even exorcists who said that these entities would manifest through coagulated water. That's how, like coagulation, that's literally, that, that literally means that these entities would take the particles of water in the air, solidify them, and then step into the water just so that they can be seen. That's how far beyond our ancient demonologists are from any demonologist, including myself, that lives right now. Let's, um, let's, I mean, this is powerful stuff. So let's back up. I, I know that, you know, some of our audience heard, heard you when you were on with uh, me last time. I right. think that was in July, but not everybody has. And so it's so important to understand how you got to the place you are now yes, because sir. you had experiences as a child that opened this door for you. You weren't looking to open this door. No, sir. I, I did not have a paranormal encounter, I had a paranormal confrontation. Um, so, you know, for those who didn't know my story or don't, rather, I grew up in a haunted house. I moved in at the age of, I call it eight and a half still, because there's a kid in me. <laughs> I'm still eight and a half at one point. Uh, you know what I mean? I got to stretch that. Uh, you know, so uh, it was actually at the very first open house. Um, I went into a room. My dad led me in by the hand and said, you know what, Nate? He said, this is going to be your room once we buy the home take a look around, figure out where you're going to put everything. Your mom and I are going to go out and hang out with the, uh, the realtor in the living room. And so I'm poking around, looking under every 
crevice and opening up the closet and thinking, you know what, this, this looks pretty sweet. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a cool, you know, it's a new house. I'm, I'm excited to meet some friends here. Yeah, it didn't go quite like that because mm-hmm. I was drawn to um, the bed that was in the corner of the room. And I, I remember, remember kneeling down, I pulled the cover up. And as soon as that cover hit my eyes, I remember hitting it, my eye, hitting my eyes, and I'm trying to figure out what's underneath there. As soon as my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I am face to face with what appeared to be a six-year-old girl. She had a pale complexion, long flowing black hair, a white linen dress that looked to be made from the turn of the century. At that moment, obviously I was in shock. I, I retracted myself. And when I did, this is what always haunts me, no pun intended, seriously, no pun intended. This little girl scurried her little body all the way to the back of the wall to where she was the furthest she could be to me. That was my very first confrontation with this phenomenon. And so once we moved into the house, they, I mean, my goodness, there's a litany of different manifestations that I encountered. I saw a shadow person that was seven foot tall. Um, there was a smoky apparition that would come into my room and it would form itself into a black cloud. You know, I don't want to go on, but, you know, it, yeah. it wasn't just an encounter. It was an absolute predatory confrontation. couple questions. Um, yes, refresh my memory. Were you able to ever reconcile what that first encounter no. was? Was no, was? Do you have a sense of whether or not that uh, six-year-old quote-unquote girl was what she was representing herself as, or was she something far more sinister? I think that she was something far more sinister. I uh, honestly, the you know, the more we both grow into our gifts and and, and emerge into our own research. You know how it is. It's it's kind of like we just evolve. And so when I look back now, um, I never saw that apparition again. Right. Now, what I did experience after that initial manifestation was what I would call the spirit of suicide. Mm. And, you know, I don't really talk about it, but I wanted to talk about it on your program because I want everybody to know. These entities are real, and so are giftings, and so are people who are called to this field. But, um, you know, I had, I had dreams of a person committing suicide. I, I failed a grade because of it. Wow. So, you know, I, I remember waking up at night and hearing a full-blown conversation going on over my head. I, couldn't, I, I, I could never tell what they were saying. Uh, but, you know, this stuff is real. We often we often have a sense of uh, something of that magnitude, um, you know, over our right or maybe left shoulder, whispering in our ear, trying to convince us to do something that drastic, whether it's take your own life or hurt somebody. Is that what this was 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 happening to you? Um, I, I can't. I couldn't tell. I knew that that I was being excluded for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. I. My communication with my parents ended. Um, I, I, I could not even articulate the kind of pain, not just that I was experiencing, uh, but there was a secondary 
consciousness that existed next to me at night, and I couldn't tell. Honestly, I didn't know why I was hurting. I didn't know who I was hurting for. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why the only, I guess, forms of self-preservation for me was to tell myself, you know what, that entity in the corner, it doesn't want you to be afraid. And, and so I, I kind of convinced myself that it's not the spirit of fear, and it's not a spirit that wants me to fear. I'm just afraid of it because I do not understand it. And when I tell you that the moment I, I even thought that way, uh, my entire intellect changed, not just in my response to it, uh, but it was, a, it was a coping mechanism that allowed me to be free from its power. And it has allowed me uh, really to be who I am right now in the field, not that I'm anybody. And I, I, you know, I, I'm saying that I am or, or that I'm not. What I'm saying is it allowed me to ask questions right. that were beyond me, and that's um, and that's so profound. But that's really what happened. I this might be too personal, and, and if it is, let's dig deep, brother. If it I'm is, we can it. we can move away from it. But um, as you were being assaulted in some way by these entities uh, throughout your childhood into your teenage years. Uh, did you um, have, I'm not even sure how to ask this and be polite about it, but did substances involve, become involved at all? No, they didn't. Not at all. Because that's, that's a common uh, story, you know, that I've heard, right. heard many times that people are driven to substance abuse by these entities. Right. And you were able to avoid that. Yes, I was. Uh, and, and one thing that really allowed me to escape that is, uh, is, is to understand how they operate. One of the things that I hated about myself growing up was that it constantly made me question my reality. Um, I mean, when you wake up in the middle of the night from a nightmare where somebody killed themselves, yeah. and you feel it. I mean, when I would wake up at night, I felt like it was staring at me, but I just couldn't see its eyes. Mm. I lived with it. It lived with me. And what's fascinating to me is it didn't touch me. It was as if it was allowed to exist next to me, but it, it was never allowed to touch me. And, and I'm telling you, this is not just my experience. It's not exclusive to Nathaniel Gillis. Uh, this was the emergence of a moment within me that, that drove me I mean, through pain and through potential, drove me headfirst into trying to, to understand why it is that I can meet people who have been touched by these entities, right? And so it, it just, you know, it, it's a fascinating subject, but I'm tired of seeing people hurt, and that's why I'm here tonight. You um, have approached this whole topic in a, in a very sober and rational way, and that's not always the case. Wow, how, that's huge. How did sure, you? Thank you. Well, it's and it's true. And how did you? How were you able to remove what had to be a very emotional experience? How were you able to remove the remo- emotion from it, and and look at it from a more pragmatic and uh, intellectual perspective? That's not an easy thing to do, but you've been able to do that. 
that is a, a compliment that I'm undeserving of. I appreciate it. I had to separate myself from my scars. I had to separate myself from every waking moment when I felt victimized and I didn't understand why. I had to convince myself throughout high school, even when I would go back in my mind to these events, I had to tell myself that it wasn't my fault. <laughs> yeah. That it wasn't my fault. I did nothing to deserve it. You know, all of those times when, when I would write suicide poetry and I didn't even know what I was writing. It wasn't my fault. This is bigger than demonology. It has to be. And it is. Yeah, it has to be. And, um, you know, your, your work demonstrates that. Now, talk to us a little bit about how uh, you made it through those years of youth. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that you, you at one point uh, turned to religion as maybe an answer. Is that, was, that, was that an attempt at finding an answer? Um, it was, and it was an incredible experience in one way and a, a, a deeply painful experience in another. But the older I got, um, there were people at my local church who wanted to mentor me into ministry. And so they, they witnessed some of the giftings that I've been able to operate in. And so they, they, you know, they wanted me to be the youth pastor. They wanted me to, to be the, the, the evangelist. I preached my first message at, at 14. Um, wow. Yeah, so we had like a 700-member church, and <laughs> here's old Nate going up there. I saw so many ex-girlfriends <laughs> come through that door. I'm telling you what, Doc, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, you know. Uh, so... I, I was a part of the Pentecostal movement, and while I disagree with the Pentecostal movement in many ways, their form of deliverance ministry is transcendent. And so I studied certain deliverance ministries. One of them is, uh, uh, he goes by the name of Jonathan Suber. And so I emulated him. I would, and I didn't even know what I was doing. I would listen to his prayers when he would pray over demoniacs. <laughs> if you, um, if you, if you have it in your heart, it's going to come out in your words. And, yes, sir. you know, I obviously wasn't, uh, um, privileged to hearing what you were saying at those times, but I imagine given your experiences, you had a heart full of things to say. In terms of to, well, as you, as you were, um, uh, I don't know if preaching is the right word. Oh, but oh God, yeah. Yeah, of course I did. Yeah. I didn't want to feel, I didn't want others to feel as alone as I did when I grew up. And and so I just, honestly, I, I, I forget what my first message was. Um, whatever it was, it was about unifying my youth group, because I had like 30 people underneath me. And they were all young. And so, you know, I didn't want them to hurt like I did. Right. And so the only way I knew... Uh, how to heal them as I, I spoke to their scars. I'm talking their wounds. Like any, and I, I, it's the same way that I dealt with my pain growing up is I would talk to them and I'd say, hey, listen, you know, you're worthy. You know, I would say things like your wounds are wounds. They're not designed to kill you. They're designed to birth something in you 
a new dimension of self-realization, something that you can grow into. I, I, I just knew um, how to speak to people and how to help them, you know, because I think, honestly, I think that when I grew, when I grew up, I grew up with a gift, and the only way I was able to survive it is because I developed an immunity to these entities. And, and it's not just that. It's just like when my eyes adjusted to the darkness, now I can see them. Yeah. I can see people who have these entities, and I can say, hey, listen, it's not your fault. Like, it wasn't mine, right? And it's just, you know, it's, it's a measure of growth, but it's, it's a humbling experience. Let's talk about what these entities are. You've referred to them um, as anything but fallen angels. You said that is something that That's we've been mis- yeah we've yes, been sir. misled uh, all these years and and t- just taught incorrectly. So if they're not fallen angels, Nathan, what are they? They're formerly human beings. Are they formerly evil human beings? Your attachments are one hundred percent. That's why you have the debug phenomenon. You, you mean your, your pictorial tradition of a dibek, rather. I'm sorry, some people don't know. Uh, dibek. Your dibek, uh, the picture of the dibek, and even the word dibek means to cling to. Your picture of the dibek is essentially a skeleton that clings. Not, not a fallen angel or an angel without wings, but a skeleton that, that connects itself and clings to a human being. I think it's ridiculous. I think that my field has to correct itself. Uh, not that my field are researchers, as far as demonologists. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not being disrespectful. I'm saying that it's just... All right. I won't ramble. No, I don't, I th- I don't <laughs> think you are rambling. I think what you're saying is, is very important, because I do believe that much of the body of... Uh, I'll say professionals that call themselves demonologists um, are in it for the wow factor and not so much for the what we'll have to say is the science of it. And um, and I think it's important what you're saying. So don't feel as though you're rambling, because I think this is the the, the whole point of the conversation is is the difference here. I don't want to. You have to understand my position. I read most of my day. This is not just a curiosity. It's not a fatal fascination. This is a calling. The, the, the same entities that I went to bed with wake me up because I, I grow every day, and I don't want the future generation to keep going on um, trying to interpret the shadows of ignorance, clicking on a television show, and thinking like, well, according to this actor, this is what I'm dealing with. That has to stop. It's disgusting. And these entities are manipulating our ignorance. Number one point that I will make, considering we're going into this direction, your exorcistic right, not yours, obviously, but generally speaking, your exorcistic right in Catholicism, it's called sprinkling waters. Originally, it was baptism. But even before that, it was found in the book of Numbers, chapter 19, and verse 11. Now, I need everybody to put their seatbelt on because it's about to get wild. (laughs) Guess what? That exorcistic rite, according to Numbers chapter 1911, it was to cleanse a human being of corpse pollution. Mm. Not, Not possession of a fallen angel. 
Well, th this is absolutely transcendent because they knew what they were talking about. Can I go forward? Yeah, please do. Okay. So their understanding of corpse pollution began with someone who touched a dead body. Okay. So then they said that, you know, if you, if you touch a dead body, you are, you are polluted with death defilement or corpse pollution. In addition to that, and this is where possession just stretched itself into our existence, they said that there is what is called the open vessel law. The open vessel law was that when that person, that corpse, died, his spirit or her spirit left their body like a gas, like a cloud. Mm -hmm. And it would go through the entire house and fill everything in the house. And so according to the open vessel law, essentially, whatever food, whatever, because you've got to remember, this is in the late Iron Age, whatever um, form of pottery you have with food in it, whatever is not locked down with a cover, that's also defiled. It's also polluted by that corpse. So it's not just touching the deceased, it's, it's actually having that spirit inhabit all of your emptinesses. They called that corpse defilement. That's possession. And so the next step for them was to do what's called the sprinkling of holy water. That's where this all began. So I'm going to present this. In the 16th century, thank God we had a Semitic origin for this exorcistic rite. But since then, we have had nothing but case studies that are locked up and thrown away. Why? Because the Vatican does not want to admit that their version of the afterlife has outgrown their case study. Now, there's a question. i got to pull out my phone. Where's my phone at? Lord have mercy, brother. <laughs> I have a question for everyone, because this is absolutely necessary. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Now, considering the fact that the, the Vatican and the exorcistic rite is sprinkling of water, right? Mm -hmm. It works. Now, watch this. If these entities are responding to the fact that they are they're, they're disincarnate and that their exorcistic rite works, watch this. Why are they, these possessing entities more knowledgeable about their condition of being disincarnate than we are about their cure. It's disgusting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're responding to it. They've been doing that for millennia. So, so what, is, what exactly is happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Uh, that this phenomenon has outgrown any kind of religious dogma. And so now at this point, the Vatican will not even, they will not even authorize an exorcism. Like, like to the point where they have to send people out and say, you know what, A, B, and C, let's see who is in there. Okay, fine, we'll do it. Bam. I mean, I can go further, 
but that's the root of it. And so it's almost as if it's, it's actually really sad because these entities are responding to an ancient text because of what? They're not fallen angels, right? Okay, and I'm, I'm done with that rant. No, it's no. This is all. It's all fascinating. I want to. I want to have a better understanding of your yeah. your evolution as it comes to uh, religion and your position on organized religion, particularly Christianity. Uh, you are heavily involved. Um, you have since evolved to what? What What is your opinion about it as it relates to what we're talking about tonight? Christianity is it's, the, it's an attempt to understand what has happened in history. It's, it's the most modern, I guess, understanding of the past. In terms of, of their dogma, uh, their afterlife understanding is, is rancid. And I'm, I, I promise you, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. I'm saying this, because I, I grew up in a Christian tradition. What I'm saying is this, is, uh, their concept of the demonic, uh, it's 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 very much um, it's not even ancient it's it's modern it comes from the first century and it comes from the Greek religion and so they see demons and they say okay horns and hooves and so with that comes the dogmatism of believing that every possession well my God that has to be Leviathan you know it has to be one of them one of them idols. And so when I was growing up and I was trying to grow up in the darkness to understand what I was experiencing, uh, one of the first things that came to my mind was where in the heck is a shadow figure in the Bible? Where was it in my Sunday school? Right. Why is it that I saw a seven-foot shadow figure and I went outside in the wintertime and saw the footprints? What is going on? And so I went to, to, you know, different pastors for answers, and uh, because of the religious dogmatism and just the different boundaries, they would not even talk to me. Right. And so I had to, to, honestly, it was painful. I had to outgrow their appreciation for me. You know, I had to say, you know what, despite their love for me, as much as they want me to become this minister, there are people out there uh, that need to know the truth. And it was painful. I remember going to a conference, and I was dating a girl, and I had left the church, you know. And I had no one to hang out with. They wouldn't even talk to me. They wouldn't look at me. They, that, was, that was treated as a cancer to them. But it had to be done because there are too many people out there who are hurting for unknown reasons. So I, I, once I understood my calling and I understood that my giftings weren't curses to me, there were ways that, that God was manifesting through me. It changed my life, but um, that's, that's what led me here, and that's what really has given me the freedom, and sometimes the I'm going to get it all if you talk to other people. <laughs> ask these <laughs> questions, man, but it has to be asked. <laughs> you, uh, you mentioned in, in uh, writing the new book, uh, you talked about Genesis 6 specifically. What are we yes. talking about here? We are talking about what's called the Nephilim, and uh, some people in academia would call it a fancy word. It's a Fraser Crane word. It's called the etiology of evil. It's just a fancy uh, way of saying that's where the demons originated. And in Genesis 6, they say 
that uh, the sons of God, it's such a fascinating text, but the sons of God saw the daughters of men and went in unto them and made unto them wives. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And then those, uh, that union created what are called giants. Now, what has to be understood here, which it often isn't, is that at the time that text was written, the Hebrew language did not have vowels. So if you strip the word Nephilim of vowels, there's an A and there's an I. So if all you have is Nephal, uh, you're going to have the Hebrew word for, watch this, guys, for unexplained pregnancies, hello, UFO abduction phenomenon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and stillbirths. As I I digest this, um, you know, so many questions and I, and I know, you know, and and again, I'm going to uh, show the the trailer you have for the book Mm -hmm. uh, and you reference um, high strangeness. um, And this is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, sir. I'm, I'm a, I'm a proponent of what's called the unified field theory. I do not believe we have a, a, a myriad of amount of enemies. I think there's one enemy that has united its consciousness against us. And so that's what, that's what the um, book's about. And is the idea here that uh, when we start looking at phenomena that we would call alien abduction, right. um, and then we start looking at uh, the demonic phenomena we've been talking about as well, are we, is the idea that uh, we're misinterpreting the demo, demo, demonic phenomenon or we're misinterpreting the alien abduction phenomenon? I think it's both. That's a very big question. I have some protractors um, to my research, and most of them are people who, there's only one of them, uh, but, you know, he listens to my work and he says, okay, and it's a good point, you know, I'm I'm a very open individual. That's that's how I got to my research, but he's like, you know what, all of this demonology and all of this saying that that aliens are demons, you know, that that religion tried this and they failed, and I'm thinking, dude, you're, you're thinking about this the wrong way. Because right now, our working language for what we are experiencing is an alien. But give me a hundred years. Give me a thousand years. And let them experience what we're experiencing. And then they're going to look back at us, just like we look back at demonology and say, man, they use the word alien? Then bunch of idiots. Right. (laughs) Dude, it's peasantry. Yeah. It's absolute peasantry, and it's a version of anti-intellectualism that we cannot tolerate in the field. That's another rant. I Forgive me, Doc. I, I, man, I'm passionate about this, but, but that's how, that's how uh, far behind we are of these creatures. So uh, in terms of demonology, the word demon is just a migratory loan word that our ancient ancestors picked up and labeled they slap that demon label on anything that they feared. Yeah. And so a lot of them, like I said in the last interview, they are personifications of diseases, uh, but that's not to say that everything that they experienced um, was of this earth or, you know, at least of their understanding. There were plenty of experiences that were preternatural, paranormal, high strangeness. Uh, and so they would list those entities as demonic. So I've had people say, man, you you know, they listen to my spiel, man. And they're like, you know, you're not even a demonologist. I'm like, well, dude, 
right? Uh, in terms of horns and hooves, you know, I'm kind of, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's not really a vocabulary that we have yet. Right. You know, so, so that's where I am, but it's absolutely paramount. We have to understand what's going on and, and interpret it with intellectual accountability. Let's bring it back to uh, some familiar ground for a second, then we're going to take a break. Um, but you define these entities as being formerly uh, living humans. Uh, yes, sir. I'm assuming that means the soul of, of those formerly living yes, humans. Um, how, so, so then, is there a difference between what we're talking about, and again, using other people's words, in these demons versus ghosts versus uh, a, a, a poltergeist or haunting phenomena? Or is, are they, is it all the same entity that we're talking about? It is. Now, this, this, next, uh, this next segment is going to be mind-blowing. It was for me when I learned about it. But to answer your question, absolutely. Um, there are tentacles of the supernatural that are reaching to us in every malevolent haunting. And uh, it's not just with the intention of being seen by us. They want to possess us. And um, yes, sir, to answer your question, when we encounter entities in hauntology, they're not there for any other reason. I mean, obviously, we have different hauntings where they go up there and rub somebody's neck and whisper sweet nothings in a child's ear. Beyond that, these entities are predatory. They're not superfluous, and they're not wasting time. They're there for one reason and one reason only. And we're lucky. This is not dogmatism. This is not Nathaniel. According to the data sample, we're lucky to be alive because these entities, they're immune to a lot of our technology. Okay. <laughs> two, two quick questions, then I, yeah. then I have to take a break. Uh, the first one is, what do you say to somebody who says, okay, well, I saw a ghost and it was my, my late grandmother. Uh, she surely can't be one of these entities that you're describing. No. Now, the difference between that manifestation and these entities is, is usually when we see those kinds of hauntings, it's, it's an apparition that goes from one place to another, right? Or yeah. it would be, and I've had these cases too, I've even had mediumship where I'd walk up to random people and say, okay, you know, you're grieving, here's your grandmother's rings in your house, go wear them and all that stuff. The difference between the two is when that grandmother tries to groom you into their intercourse. This is, I'm telling you, these entities are absolutely apocalyptic. Mm. The difference is if that, that grandmother um, tries to get something from you. I, I've had cases where uh, if it wasn't, it wasn't the grandmother, it was somebody else that they recognized, and they, they victimized them. These entities are shapeshifters. And we're going to get deeper into that, hopefully. I don't know how much time we have. But there's a difference. I mean, it's not grandma that tucks you in. Obviously, that's cool. High five later. Uh, and obviously, that's a healing moment. But these entities will take the form of someone we know. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> should we fear? Should we be? Should we fear? I mean, you've obviously overcome whatever fear you may have had. Well, I think that we, in order for us to know what not to fear. We must understand what to be guarded and how to be guarded, I guess I should say. We should not fear them because it's not like, they're, that, not like we're knocking on their door. They're knocking on ours. And it's, it's just, I'm telling you, the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah. And so we have a measure of power 
And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that more. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. We're talking with Nathaniel Gillis tonight. He's got a new book forthcoming. It's called The Skin That Crawls. He's an author, a researcher, and a demonologist. And we're going to continue our conversation on the other side of the break. It's Beyond Reality. Hey, gang, JV here. You know that great nutrition can lead to a great life, healthy, happy, rewarding. But that nutrition simply cannot be found in the foods we eat alone. Take a minute and assess your health, the way you feel, the way your family feels, the way your kids feel. Health is more than just feeling well. It's also making sure you have a strong immune system, especially in these trying times. Vitamins aren't enough alone. In fact, they have to be the right vitamins, the right supplements made from the most effective ingredients. Otherwise, they don't do the job. It makes the world of a difference. There's a new website you can visit that'll help you navigate these ideas and guide you to better health. There's no obligation. Just visit MyHealthRocksNow.com. That's MyHealthRocksNow.com and start feeling better today. But again, tonight we're talking with Nathaniel Gillis, a returning guest, uh, a great friend as well. We're talking about demonology. And I, I want you to remind folks, Nathaniel, the book is the new book is not out yet. It will be out soon as you put the finishing touches on it. When it comes out, where can people uh, find it? How should they follow the progress? Is there anything that you can point them to now? Yeah, it's going to be on Amazon. I'll have a link on my website and all of my social media. Uh, my website's njgillis.com. My social media is Nathaniel J. Gillis. Now, before we went to the break, again, we were kind of diving headfirst into this topic, and we're trying to define what what the uh, appropriate reaction, emotional or otherwise, is to these entities that are that surround us all. Uh, you brought up the word several times, shapeshifters. This means, in my estimation, that these entities can deceive you, and they can make you think they're something they're not. Uh, 100%. Matter of fact, and <laughs> God... Oh, Lord. Let's dive headfirst into it, man. This is terrifying. Uh, In Numbers chapter 19, they were describing, like I told you guys before, they were describing an air, a version of air, a version of oxygen. They call it the gas, a cloud, that would go into a house and it would fill every void. Now, that that gas, that spirit, carried the same smell as its corpse did. That's why it polluted everything, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Now, this is something that I recently discovered, and it grieves me. Uh, when we go into houses and we smell with our nose, obviously, when we smell... It's not sulfur. We're smelling a corpse. Mm. We smell rotting organic matter. I've had it many cases. I didn't know what it was. I had it as a young man. I didn't know what it was. At that moment, according to history, at that moment, that entity is actively trying to possess us. And of that. If, I'm just going to comment on that. Of course, yeah. that is one of the most offensive and difficult odors to uh, handle right. As, a, right. as an individual. It's, it's, it's repulsive. It's repulsive. It's a corpse. That's why they, that's why they created a, a literal, it was an actual exorcistic right against it. It wasn't just people who touched it. It was people, people who smelled it. Yeah. 
And so when you go throughout the Dibuk phenomenon in the 16th century, and you go through even uh, Catholic case studies, there were many times that your people, many demoniacs, were possessed by what they inhaled. Now, I'm not talking, and obviously, the exorcistic rite was purely for people who were smelling decomp. We would call that later on in the Bible an unclean spirit. And later on in the first century, we would call that demonic possession. But my point is, when we go into homes and we smell like a dead body, I'm not talking about when the corpse is actually in the house, so we can smell a dead body. At that moment, that entity is actively trying to possess us. See, it's not, it's not just the, their, their desire to wear us like skin. They literally want to be the air we breathe. And at that moment, they, they're, they're doing their best to get inside of us. Hence why your, your exorcistic rites, many of them, even in the first century, uh, was pulling them out of the noses of demoniacs. Mm. They would leave from the same area that they entered. When I uncovered that, it grieved me because, you know, it's not these actors in Hollywood, and it's not just, okay, I have a show where I'm possessed by the same old lady every time, right? Same old lady, during every case. No, this is different, man. This is a malevolent entity who, even if you smell it, at that moment, we have to realize that their intention is to possess us. Now, that, that's, that's grieving to me, because we didn't know that. Yeah. They did, right? Yeah, this this, this is what you're talking exactly. about when you say they're playing a different game. Yes, sir. It's not that they're not playing by the rules. It's that they're playing a different game. Exactly right, my friend. Exactly right. And uh, we have to understand the game here, you know. And I, I'm a huge I, – I have a lot of people in parapsychology. You know, I have a lot of friends with them. I'm not going to name drop them, but, you know, I love them to death. They're great guys. Uh, but they're, they're, you know, the scientific part of it, I will not discount it. I think it's absolutely valid. But just because you can measure the dimensionality of a chessboard doesn't mean you know the rules of a game. Yeah. We've seen, we've seen a lot of, uh, again, I referenced a television show earlier in, the, in our discussion and referencing shows like that, or even, even films like The Exorcist, which is what serves as most people's uh, understanding of what uh, possession and exorcism are. Uh, are those representations in any way valid of a possession? They are, according to Catholicism. So you're going to have the Catholic right. You're going to have a priestly caller who goes in there, what's your name, bam, bam, bam. They'll do the ritual realm, and then, and then that's it. Now, you know, and, that, and that's fine. The most interesting aspect of that is that, that most of us are more focused on how the priest responds. We're not really focused on the language preference of the possessing entity. Why is it that they're, they're complete, like, they're, they're biblically illiterate? Why do, they, why, do, why do the only demons that the Catholics cast out, why do they speak Latin? Why is it the number one demon, right? Yeah. Um, it's crazy, and I'm not saying that in disrespectful. I'm not saying crazy, okay, it's, you know, mental or anything like that. It, it doesn't make sense, and here's why it doesn't make sense, because we did not know the pathology. We did not do any form of behavioral analysis regarding these entities. 
Now, in the 16th century, in the age of the demoniac, they did. I mean, my God, you had cases, plenty of cases, where the possessing entity would confess to murder, or it was someone who was murdered, and solved their own murder, and said, here's my body, here's the name of the person who killed me, there, here's, the, here's where the murder weapon is. So what we're doing here, and this is what I'm t- uh, it really grieves me, uh, but what I think we're doing is we are creating repeat offenders. Well, we cast one entity out, and it goes in somebody else, and we yeah. think it's high five. Let's you know, let's go get a drink. And that entity, his problem's not solved yet, right? Yeah. He will go to somebody else, and so that that brings me to my next point: the current exorcistic right that dominates every religion, especially Catholicism. In antiquity, they called it the banishment of an unwanted being, but that was always the last-case scenario, never the first. And so what we're dealing with right now is a field, I'm talking parapsychology and demonology, a field where we have people who download a phone app, And think, man, my curiosity is called. I'm going to go in. I'm going to go deal with these entities. And, you know, I'm, not just to deal with them, even if they see you. Look, can I say this? In the uh, 17th century, there was a case of possession where a young boy was possessed. He was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. He was possessed in an apple orchard. Now, I'm going to skirt around an issue because there's some radio shows where I can't talk about this. Uh, it's for whatever reason. But the young boy was a victim of an incubus. Can I just, just say that? I think most people understand what that means. All right. Now, watch this. The young boy was savagely affected by this incubus. In addition to that, he was possessed by that incubus. So his father, obviously disheveled, inconsolable, brings his son to the exorcist. He starts talking to the entity within the child, and the entity was known in life and confessed his guilt. He was an incubus. Okay, I don't know if I can use the word, the P word, but he was an incubus. He was that kind of evil person in real life, and he preyed on, on young men. Mm-hmm. I just skirt around the issue here, okay? Mm-hmm. He possessed that kid. Now watch this. We have to understand. We cannot look away from them because they're staring right at us in the eyes, and they're, they are absolutely just just... They're asking this, this exorcist asked the man, okay, you know, who are you? He, he gives the name. I'm so-and-so. First of all, especially in the 16th century, it wasn't just what your name, it was how did you die? He says, you know, I, you know, I forget what the death was, but, you know, I, I got killed. Okay, so how did you possess this young man? He says that this young man was brought to an apple orchard and it, by his father, 
And when his father was away, he picked an apple off of a tree. So the exorcist was kind of confused and said, okay, what happened? He says, well, that tree and that orchard was the very place that I, conf- I, I committed my first crime. Hmm. So these entities will revisit their old crime scenes. I'm telling you, I cannot scream this enough. When we have people who say, man, I, I, you know, I just got this, oh, this certificate over here, man, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go in there and I, man, I got this nice EVP app. These <laughs> entities, these molters, they are predatory. They have the serial killer pathology. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's God, I don't know if it's angels, but we have a measure of mercy right now in the 21st century. It's a gift. It's a window of opportunity to see into them in ways that, that we never have. Because right now, we, we have people, I'm telling you, because you know the P word, there are people out here that have died for less than what that entity committed. And yet, we can't even determine if that's a demon. It is. That's not a fallen angel. That man lived and died doing what he did. And so we have to adapt. And if we don't, and I'm not doom and gloom. There there are certain things we have at our expense. But uh, I'll stop. It's... Well, you know, one one of the, and we're going to run out of time here, so one of the bigger questions that might be in folks' mind here is what's the end game? What are these entities after? Possession is one thing, but there's got to be something that they gain from that. Pregnancy. That's the goal. Yeah, in the Apocryphon of John, it's a Coptic manuscript preserved by Egyptian monks. The Apocryphon of John says that in Genesis 6, which we talked about earlier, uh, that these entities first manifested to our women, our being mortals, they first came to our women, and they appeared as their husbands to them, but they weren't their husbands. They, they, they coerced these women, these innocent women, into to intercourse. Uh, that's how it began. That's an incubus. Right. That's an incubus. And, and it, they have not changed. They're still doing what they're doing. So, so we have to acknowledge that we can't hide behind the, you know, the, the covers anymore because that's how they are continuing their existence. Now, the end game is not just to, um, to 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 have intercourse with our women. Remember how I told you that they're trying to um, they're trying to possess number one and number two. That word nafal mm-hmm. means that they're they're trying to give birth to deceased babies. In Genesis 6, according to the Apocryphon of John, it says that they coerced these women in an intercourse. At the moment of conception, wink, wink, they stared into the faces of these women. Now, in order to understand what they were doing, it's an ancient obstetric tradition. Obstetric is a reference to fertility and childbearing. The ancient obstetric tradition, according to them, was that whatever the woman is focused upon at the moment of conception, she will give birth to a low possession, in her womb. Hence why 
I'm getting passionate, man. Can I go on for like 30 seconds? Yeah, do. Hence why that the number one question in Islamic exorcistic rites, number one, especially women, obviously a woman is number one, have you had a dream that you've had sexual intercourse with someone other than your husband? Right. Check. Number two, right? Number two, it's not enough. There's more. Number two. <laughs> and since then, have you had a dream that you were pregnant because of it? Hello, UFO abduction. Right. It's just like in the 16th century, there was a, a woman who was possessed by her husband. Came to the exorcist. She says, uh, my husband's deceased. I think I'm possessed with him. He looks at her stomach, and there that spirit is crawled up in a, in a fetal position in her womb. He asked, I'm, I'm getting to a point here. He asked the question to other exorcists, is possession pregnancy? Number two, why would these entities show up as husbands, groom these women into consent, and then, and then try to recreate their apparition in their wombs? You follow me? Mm -hmm. Here's why. Because those babies were not born alive. It's a corpse. Right. They're necromancers. What were they doing? They would possess that baby, grow into it, and now they have a body that looks like their apparition. That's what they're after. That's why. Listen, I had a, my God, man, I'm getting passionate, brother. Forgive me. Had someone that emailed me the other day and said, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. She said she had an incubus case where these entities came to her in a dream and they were verbally abusive once they realized she didn't have a womb. Ooh. That's the game yeah. they're playing. As <laughs> I, I hear it, brother. I hear I, it, man. You know, I mean, I mean, the the problem with uh, getting close to the end of our conversation is in here is that um, you know, there's there's a lot of reason to be, uh, and I don't want to use the word frightened, but certainly right, concerned right. with 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 what we've learned here tonight. Mm -hmm. Is there is there any way that people can a protect themselves from these entities and this activity? Yeah, yes, there is. Now, there are two forms of protection, and they both go to the two forms of, I guess, attachments and possession. Okay. So the first one is attachments. If you do not want attachments, uh, these entities, they usually victimize women. 99% of your possessions are male and female possessions. Okay. Because it's like I said, it's it's trying to implant right. feet into a womb, right? But one of the ways that they will groom their victims is uh, they will look for any form of trauma. Specifically, if if the father left, if a husband was abused, uh, um, yeah, yeah, if he abused them verbally or physically, um, obviously there's the other word that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. But they will use that as a means. Um, to to manipulate and to conform. Um, in many cases, especially in, in the youth, especially young women that I've had, it's suicide. It's low self-esteem. I'm not enough. And so in adulthood, 
what we have to do is we have to step into our voids. We have to, to self-realize. We have to realize that the moment we were born, the moment we took a breath, we were good enough. And so a lot of this has to deal with psychology because that's how they manipulate us, including men. You know, that's how they operate. Now, I will, this is interesting, too. Once you get into the possession case, the possession, there's, there's all kinds of signs of possessions that could have been stopped in the stage of attachment. And so what I do is I teach all of the people that come to me for consultations, I teach them that it's better to prevent than intervene. Right. And, you know, I've had, I've had I mean, tons of people say, you know what, I had this issue and the, that issue growing up, and, you know, there was a life event, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm being watched. And a lot of these people are empaths. I'm going to say this too, and then I'll, I'll shut up. These entities, will, they will plague and victimize empaths the most because we are more sensitive than the rest. Number one. Number two, when we are growing into our gift, we don't always know why we are hurting. Uh, and so we try to self-medicate someone mm-hmm. else's pain. Mm-hmm. This is good. This makes sense. Yep. You can't self-medicate someone else's pain. In addition to that, we medicate the gift we're called to manifest. And it's at that moment of growth when we were first scarred by purpose and marred by destiny. Uh, that's when they try to strangle us. They do not want to deal with us in the future. So they do their best to take us out in the present. That's the end game. <laughs> you, uh, there, there, I'm sure there are people listening tonight, and, and maybe even you know heard heard you uh, discuss this when you were on in July, mm-hmm. thinking, you know, I've I've experienced some of this. I've right. I've had that dream, or right. I've you know I've seen that look in somebody's eyes. What do you recommend they do? Obviously, your books are a great start to help under, to help them understand what might be happening around them. But after that, what what do you recommend they do? Um, well, okay. First of all, if you if you think you have an attachment, I want to know um, if there has been any life event. Has there anybody that died? Has there been anybody that died? Has there been a uh, relationship that ended? Uh, that's usually how it starts. Have you moved? Dude, this is this is intense, man. These these are geographical. Many cases, have you moved? Have you got a new job? Is there an, an emotional trigger? Um, is there scarification? If there's somebody that has uh, depression, the first question I ask is, okay, let me see your arms. I want to. I have to. Mm-hmm. I want to see. Are you cutting yourself? Right. Cutting yourself is is the act of grieving. Who are you grieving for? Right, because that entity will grieve for itself and use your skin to do so. And so I'm looking for any area of access. Um, I've had people that were successful, $100,000 job a year, and still they, they are not themselves. They tell, they tell me, you know, look, if I had my way, uh, I'd leave my job and I would go help people. Then, you know, why do you want to help people? Well, because of what I grew up in. Okay, fine. That entity 
will use the fact that your gift is grieving as consent. Because you're not doing what you're called to do. It will use all of those emotions against you. And so I, I ask a lot of questions. Um, unless it's, you know, a, like a real demon, I don't want to know anything. I'll just go into houses and I just, it's a whole different conversation. Right. I hope that answered some of it. Yeah, it does. Um Again, just sadly, we're out of time. I think I remember this last time we talked. We got to the end of the uh, time allotted, and I thought, man, I've got more questions than I had when I started. Uh, But uh, your work is tremendous, Nathan, and I appreciate you bringing it to us and bringing it to our audience. Again, let people know how they're going to be able to find the book when you get it uh, published in a few weeks. Yeah, man. um, It's actually going to be on pre-order this week weekend. It's going to be on Amazon. I'll have all of my links on all of my, or the link on all of my social media. My website's njgillis.com. Uh, my social media, as far as Facebook and Instagram, in, was it nathanieljgillis.com. There we go. Let's get out of that, that out of the way. My book is called The Skin That Crawls. And um, it's going to kind of detail everything that these entities have been up to. You know, it's going to be an uncomfortable read because there's still things that I've yet to even discuss because it's too dark. And I don't want, you know, the the night to, to be even darker than it already is. But, man, it is such an honor to be with you. Can I call you JV? What can I call you, brother? JV is, is perfect, yes. JV, man, it is such an honor to be with you. I, I have watched my last interview with, with you over and over again. And, and you guys have no idea. This, this guy's a legend, and uh, I'm just so humbled to be with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you, my friend, for being here. I look forward to having you back. Good luck yes, with the so. book. Stay in touch. We'll definitely yeah. have you back on because, as I said, we have a lot more ground to cover with this discussion. Definitely, brother. You guys have a, a wonderful evening. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.